but how do you make a choice? You don't see, I mean, in terms of when you're going to engage. I mean, for example, even today, Elon, you, you, you tweeted this thing about George Soros. Well, I'm looking for it because I want to make sure I quote it properly. But, I mean, you know what you wrote. But you basically... I think it reminds me of Magneto's. It's like, you know, calm down, people. This is not like made a federal well, case s- out of it. <laughs> you, also, you, know, <laughs> you said he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization and Soros hates humanity. Like, when you do something like that, do you Yeah, think I think about, that's true. That's my opinion. Okay. But why share it? Why share it? Especially, because, I mean, why share it when people who buy Teslas may not agree with you? Advertisers on Twitter may not agree with you. Um, why not just say, hey, I think this. You can tell me. We can talk about it over there. You can tell your friends. But why share it widely? I mean, I, this is freedom of speech. I'm allowed to say what I want. You wanted. absolutely are. But I'm trying to understand why you do, because you have to know it's got a, there, it puts you in, a, in the middle of a, the partisan divide in the country, it makes you a lightning rod for criticism. I mean, do you like that? I, you know, people today are saying he's an anti-Semite. I don't think you are. No, I'm definitely not. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like a pro-Semite, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> I, I believe that probably is the case. Yes. But why would you even introduce the idea of that? You know, I'm reminded of uh, the, the scene in The Princess Bride. Great movie. Great movie. Um, where he confronts the person who killed his father. And he says, Offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care. So you just don't care. You want to share what you have to say. I'll say what I want to say, and if, 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 uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. Okay. Sir, you're saying that billionaires should not exist. So you're, are you basically saying that once you get to $999 million, yeah. that the government should confiscate all the rest? I'm saying that we should go back to a very progressive tax policy like what we had under Dwight D. Eisenhower. Which would mean that, that uh, after... Over yeah. a billion dollars, basically, yeah. it all goes to the government. I, you may disagree with me, but I'm, I'm just asking. Fine. Yeah, I think people can make it on nine hundred, you know, ninety-nine million dollars. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners who are working in the area of space technology, addressing the climate crisis, and understanding the the opportunities that exist there in terms of growing a clean energy economy and growing a workforce that has the skills and the ability to lead where we can be unburdened by where we have been. And welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 132 coming at you on this beautiful Friday, May 19th in the year of our Lord. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm your co-pilot, Mike McKenna. I am unburdened by what has been. Do you think she poll tested that? No. You think it means anything to anybody? Yes. Or is that a is that a verbal tick at this it's, point? It's a verbal tick. It's exactly where I was going. It's a verbal tick at this point. Unburdened by what has been either that or it's some speechwriter who thinks he or she is a genius, in which case that person should be fired out of a cannon. So seriously. So Bernie, you you may not do you may not agree. 
<laughs> I love Bernie. He's he's like, well, you might not agree, but I think 999 million is enough. In fact, I do agree with Bernie, as we've discussed I know, before. That's why I play the clip. I appreciate it. I, you know, it, he he's right. Not wrong. Meanwhile, uh, Elon Musk is not going to stop tweeting his mind because it is free speech after all. Even if it costs him a couple of his several hundred billion dollars. Seriously, who is that? Who is that? So, who is that guy? Was interviewing him? Some podcast it was dude. CNBC. It was CNBC. What I mean, what so, if I was Musk, I'd have been like, "Why are you obsessing on this, dude? This is right, this right. between me and my shareholders. Got nothing to do with you." We're gonna trim the. The full clip down. We trimmed the whole clip down, but it was interesting exchange. He's like, "Are we going to spend this whole interview talking about George Soros or what?" I, I was kind of, kind of with him. I'm like, "Dude, you asked the question, I answered it. You asked it, I answered it. You asked right. it, I answered it. I mean, how many times are you going to ask this thing?" Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> do you have any announcements, sir? Uh. I do. I want to thank Brian Klippenstein. He was in town, bought me some dinner this uh, week, and was a. The conversation was great. He gave me an idea for a couple of columns, like he always does. And so, you know, content provider Brian Klippenstein, thank you. And I want to thank Frank Cadillac, um, who helped me untie a knot in my head. So I appreciate that very much. I thought you were going to bring up another Frank, but you might later. Um, I want to welcome Smith Anderson. And Dr. David Dismukes to the IER and AEA team. Smith uh, joined us from her most recent stint was API. And she also did uh, uh, a stint at Chevron and a couple of stints on Capitol Hill. And you, of course, know Dr. Dismukes, um, LSU professor, has his own consulting firm. He's joining us as a senior economist. What? And we're really? looking forward to having them both. Really? On the IR squad. Yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. Hey, okay. So I guess I got a, since, since a senior economist? Dave? Yes, sir. Really? Senior economist. Is this so we have an excuse to go to New Orleans occasionally? Well, I got to get, got to get some gumbo. Okay. Well, first off, Professor Dismukes, welcome, I suppose. Um, I'm highly skeptical, but okay, we'll do it that way. Uh, and then the other thing is, is that I was uh, Heritage announced yesterday? Heritage Foundation announced yesterday that I'm a visiting fellow. Oh yes, yes. fancy, yes. fancy. Yes. Hanging out with Lady Diana over there, very nice. I'm going to expect people to refer to me by my honorific at this point, which is of course the honorable. So okay. let everybody just get used to that. All right, I can't wait. <laughs> All right, this day in history, my friend, uh, in 1884. What day is this? May 19th. Uh, uh, this would be May 19th, and you're not going to guess it. I have but no idea. It's no longer a, a thing, unfortunately, because of animal rights activists and uh, people. Uh, the circus. This is the day that the first Ringling Brothers Circus opened in Baraboo, Wisconsin. I, I probably butchered that name, so anyone from the, the great town of B-A-R-A-B-O-O, -O, Wisconsin, on this day in 1884. Uh, and, of course, Ringling Brothers and the Barnum and Bailey Circus became a uh, pretty big deal for a very long time. So in 15... Uh, I, actually, I usually go in order, but I screwed up here. Uh, I think I had some help today. In 1536... This I know. Somebody... Yeah, there's only one thing that happened in 1536, right? 
somebody and Boleyn no longer had a head. Yeah, and Boleyn got executed. That is correct. The second wife of King Henry the Eighth of England and the mother of Queen Elizabeth the First. Yeah. So, what did she do wrong? Do you know what was the to what was the the, charge? To the actual charge was treason and incest. And you know her own her own brother and her own father testified against her. That's, wow. Well, you know she how must have rubbed them the wrong way at some point. Yeah, you know how you know how authoritarian regimes get when they go bad. You know things things go bad quick, and everybody joins up. All right, uh, two deaths, two deaths, an anniversary, uh, nineteen thirty-five. I thought this was interesting. No clue. 1935, a gentleman named T.E. Lawrence. Oh, Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. Motorcycle accident. Died of a motorcycle while trying to avoid uh, hitting a couple of boys playing on the street. Um, interesting character, interesting life, uh, in addition to all his, his ventures, uh, which just just read, just watch the movie. He also no. translated, um, I think it was... the. Oh, the Iliad or no, the Odyssey. He translated the Odyssey into English no. and published it under the name of T.E. Shaw. Well, I mean, that's why he wound up, that's why he wound up being who he was. Cause he was the guy, he was one of the few guys in the, in the, um, in the embassy and the military there, the English, the, the British embassy who could speak the language, who spoke Arabic yeah. and spoke um, some of the dialects, right, uh, the Berbers. So that's how he, they, they sent him out to talk to him. Yeah. So. And he also did a stint uh, as an alias uh, after all his adventures uh, in, in Arabia, quote unquote, um, as a member of the Royal Air Force. So T.E. Lawrence died in 1935. And one more. More recent, this was 1994, 1994. I don't know. Uh, Jacqueline Onassis. Bouvier Onassis Kennedy, Kennedy. Yeah. Onassis uh, died at the age of 64 on this day in 1994. All right. Um, that's it for this day in history. Let's start with the debt ceiling, quote unquote, negotiations. The debt ceiling extravaganza. It has it has resorted now. Uh, it has been dumbed down to this. Reason we're here for one simple reason: President Biden needs to consider using the Fourteenth Amendment uh, if necessary. The entire GOP debt ceiling negotiation is a sad charade, and that's exactly what's wrong about what's wrong in Washington. We're playing with the livelihoods of millions just so the GOP can just turn the screws against us. Hungry Americans. This is the whole reason why the 14th Amendment exists. We need to be prepared to be using it. Again, remember, say that again. We must be prepared to, in order to use it. And we cannot let reckless Republicans hold the economy as a hostage. And an unelected Supreme Court justice will try to blow up our economy. That's on them if they have to judge on that. All right, and here is, of course, a refutation of the 14th Amendment strategy to end the hostile takeover negotiation situation that the Republicans have put the Democrats in. Now, the gentleman asked about the 14th Amendment. 
there is uh, there's a provision in our Constitution that speaks to making sure that the United States meets its obligations. And there have been some suggestions that a president could use that language to basically ignore this debt ceiling rule, which is a statutory rule. It's not a constitutional rule. Um, I have talked to my lawyers. They, don't, uh, they, they do not, uh, they are not persuaded that that is a winning argument. Uh, so the challenge for me is to make sure that we do not default. Oh my, how far the Democratic Party has fallen in the uh, area of speechifying. Seriously, who's the first? Who's the first guy? <laughs> John Fetterman. Oh, golly! Wow, seriously, right? Oh boy. So now we're back to this 14th Amendment jag. So we've got the trillion-dollar coin being floated yet again by none other than Paul Krugman. And, of course, now we have the progressives, AOC and Ed Maki and uh, their, their spokesperson, John Fetterman, invoking the 14th Amendment uh, to try to avoid an actual negotiation. Now, here's uh, this is from Punchbowl News this morning, actually. This is kind of where they think the latest is on the, and I put it the term loosely on the negotiations. The the most recent one, and this is yet another nod to Speaker McCarthy, is Biden wants to kick the extension into 2025. That's one of their uh, their lead negotiating sure. Uh, points, sure, which is actually quite good for the GOP because they can extract a few concessions out of that i would i would imagine yeah well, um they you know it says here republican negotiators will seek major policy policy concessions and or spending cuts in return for a debt hike that runs through the presidential election um but nonetheless they say negotiations are moving slowly and deliberately um and of course biden isn't even in the country so, yeah, it, I mean, that, look, that's how much he cares. All this stuff doesn't matter. the The reality of it is, is that the architecture's there, right? We're going to because because there's only the only people who have passed anything have been the House, right? So they're everyone's using their architecture. So the only questions that remain open is, what is the what are the annual spending caps look like, and how long do they go? And once that answer comes in, then we'll know like when the next debt limit ceiling's going to be bounced up against, right? And the rest of it's chit-chat. These guys could these guys could lock this up in 10 minutes if they wanted to or 10 days or 10 years. But I mean, this is this is this is not we are not dealing with 400 complicated issues. We're dealing with literally two timing issues and then okay, we're going to have work requirements or not. That's it. Those right. those well, are the three also questions. there's there's this whole like permitting deal that's, that's not gonna swirling happen. around not gonna happen that's it's pure Which makes me nervous about the uh not gonna happen vaporware transmission stuff because you know it's not gonna, that's gonna be what the dams can I'm, I'm 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 fully prepared to tell you right now that that i've spoken to house leadership that's not gonna happen so that's that so they're pulling it out because they won't give them the transmission yeah the transmission's a non-starter nobody wants it, it. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, American households are hitting their own debt ceiling. 
We are seeing that Americans continue to borrow even as the cost of borrowing has spiked. This report found that consumers added $148 billion of debt just in the first three months of this year alone. That's lifting total consumer debt to just over $17 trillion. That is a fresh record high. And what's interesting is a lot of this debt has been piled on in just the last few years. Yeah. Continue to rack up that debt, household debt, credit debt, mortgage debt. I mean, you know, it, it makes perfect sense, right? Um, inflation goes up. Wages don't match it. People, as a, as a friend of mine used to say, people resist shrinking their lifestyle. So you, you're going to wind up with um, you're going to wind up with this kind of thing. It, it's this recession is coming our way is going to be painful. Personally, yeah. painful, right? Oh, for absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I I'm sort of doing it too, but I have different reasons for it. Uh, nonetheless, I'm not comfortable with it. Um, this is a huge, huge problem, and you know, uh, I don't know when this inflation adjustment stuff is gonna is gonna, you know, uh, do anything. They keep saying, "Oh, look, we're we're getting, turning a corner," but the corner is still north of. Five, north of four near five percent yeah year over year i yeah, mean man. it's not going down that's it's right sticky as that, the as all the analysts say yeah i love yeah the new york times you know inflation eases 4.9 percent i'm like since when the hell is five percent easing i mean what what planet are you guys living on it's all yeah, it's absolutely. all accretive it's all additive all right let's do a little bit of energy we had a request for um discussion about the clean power plan what's it now 3.0 the uh the new uh the new power plant rules now they're calling them rules uh, regulations dealing with fossil fuel plants of course they're changing their language yet again do you would you like to go over in a nutshell what uh the new regulation uh would theoretically on paper do and then we can discuss what it will really do we're talking 111, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, it would require um, – it essentially require everybody to capture – about 90 percent of um, power plants to capture gas and coal plants to, to capture their carbon and store it somewhere. Um, and eventually it would probably require some significant chunk of gas plants to burn hydrogen instead. Um of course, the only problem is... Which is a pipe dream at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah, nobody can actually get hydrogen to these facilities because you'd have to build a bunch of pipelines. And Because you can't build pipelines. You, you can. You choose not to. Right. Um, and the carbon capture and sequestration is theoretically um, is theoretically acceptable, but it, it's, it's not been done at scale. And not sure it can be done at scale and not sure that EPA is going to let it be done at scale. So practical matter is the whole thing's, the whole thing's designed to run oil and uh, – I'm sorry, to run coal and gas out of the stack. So um, – and, and the one of the ways that they do that is, is that basically they just – I don't know if it's explicit or implicit, but if you just announce that you're going to close your gas plant or your coal plant, then you will get credit um for it and then of course you'll have to build renewables like wind and solar or something else right so if you can't do ccs because you can't you know because the technology is um 
still not economical. I know that it is becoming more economical in other types of manufacturing. At least that's what I've been told by some friends. But um, we have seen some pretty substantial failures uh, commercially uh, within the power plant itself, uh, the, the gas plant or the coal plant. The other thing is, is that they're saying, basically, if you um, can do CCS, do it. If you can do hydrogen, do it. But they're not giving anybody any permits to store it anywhere. The EPA is sitting on like 70 plus permits for quote unquote long-term CO2 storage. The only places that they're actually getting permitted are in areas where the states have been given primacy. Um, I guess that's like the Dakotas, basically. Uh, and, just just North just North Dakota, I think, and one yeah. other place, Texas, North Dakota. I think Texas has primacy. And Louisiana, I think, is is still still waiting. Uh, lang- you know, because they want to do a lot of this stuff for I don't know how many different reasons. But anyway, the other issue, of course, is the um whether or not it will it will survive the core challenges right uh we've already had previous versions of this knocked down oh 111 yeah and there's a you know major questions question uh which goes back to the you know everyone's pinning their hopes on all this major question stuff here's my take on this if you look at this rule it is designed to make electricity more expensive and less reliable. Uh, at the same time, if you look at the tailpipe rule, the, trans, the, the car rule, uh, the car ban, the gas-fired car ban, it is designed to uh, make more force the autos to build more electric vehicles, which adds to the burden on the electricity grid. So at the same time, they want to make your energy more expensive and more reliable. They want to force you to use more of it, uh, AKA, uh, you know, buy an EV instead of, of a a car you can still maybe kind of afford. Um, this is a, uh, double whammy and the way that they've written these rules, I, I don't get the sense that they care if they survive a court challenge. I think that they're trying to basically, uh, beat out the clock, so to speak. And, you know, hope that the utilities and the autos make these financial decisions and have so much inertia around them that they'll in effect achieve their goals even if the rules get struck down do you agree disagree yeah that's right they have nuance on that no that's right they're they're counting on headline risk to run to run this thing right it's it's a press release they're both press releases you know 60% of cars are going to be electric by i forget 2032 in like 5 6 7 8 9 years something like that it it it's the same with 111, right? The the in the electricity generation world, the reality of it is, is that there's only two things that are real: there's nuclear power and there's natural gas, and everything else is pretty close to fiction at this point. Um, and 111 pretends that we're going to be able to run a system more or less without natural gas, and I just it's not going to happen that way. And right. co- court's going to strike it. Next administration is going to strike it. The Biden guys are going to, if they're, if they're in next time, they're going to decide they don't want to do it. Um, it, it, it seems, it seems unlikely to actually happen, right? Because at the end of the day, no politician wants to preside over blackouts. Yeah. 
but you know they're throwing so much money at these companies um yeah no and one... i think you mentioned this in a in a meeting i don't believe it was off the record but it doesn't matter because <laughs> it's your opinion um they're, they're basically turning the autos into regulated you regulated utilities yeah regulated industry regulated industry that's like, right the yeah. thing about it is is that you know the 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 automobile guys have no they don't care they don't care about their profit per unit what they care about is their total profit right and so so if you look at you know as long as the federal government's going to make them whole they don't care if they sell 13 million cars or 17 million cars or 3 million cars they care about how much money they make at the end of the year you know so there's nobody. There's nobody who has any vested interest in making sure that that um, automobile that the that automobility works right. Same except for the Save Our Car Coalition. Exactly, which we're not ready soon to, to be yet. announced. Save Our Car yeah, Coalition. It, it, it's the same kind of thing with in utility land. You know, part of the problem with regional transmission organizations is nobody has ownership of. There's no accountability of reliability. Yeah. Right. I mean, the utilities get blamed, but they don't really own it. And right. so there's nobody who's going to get up and say, I'm super concerned about the effect of this 111 on on reliability. And, you know, the funny yeah, thing uh, is, if 20 years ago, back when utilities used to be vertically integrated, every utility CEO in the country would have come out against this. They would have said, I can't run my system this way. Yeah. And I, I do believe that as a movement, we are... Uh, coming around on RTOs. I'm hearing more and more people say, uh, you know, they've been sold a bill of goods on RTOs, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you sent me this article. This was from E&E News, which is owned by Politico. Um, our friend Hannah Northey writes, Biden is scrambling for <laughs> minerals. Yeah. This U.S. cobalt mine just closed. White House Clean Energy Advisor John Podesta this week touted a cobalt mine in Idaho as just one example of a new domestic critical mineral project getting permits and coming online to support a booming electric vehicle industry. There's just one problem. The mine quietly stopped construction in March, <laughs> a victim not of government red tape, but of the vagaries of the global marketplace. Yeah. Bryce Crocker, CEO, blah, 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 blamed cratering cobalt prices fueled by developments in China and Congo, which produces about 70% of the world's cobalt, the bulk of that material is processed in China for use in EV batteries. And the article goes on and on and on. But the but the part that the struck me I was going to say, get to the money quote, Tom. Here's the quote. If the government wants these industries domestically for reasons that are relevant to national security or for reasons that are relevant to the energy transition, then I think there has to be a realization that leveling the playing field is going to be required, yeah. said Crocker. Yeah. So, you know, that the terrible thing about the 21st century is the same thing that was terrible at the 20th century. And that is everybody insists on telling you they're not stealing your money be, as they're stealing your money. So this guy Crocker here, he's running this, he's running this cobalt mine. And what he wants to say is, you guys need to give me a guaranteed price. You know, see, that was a nice, simple sentence, right? Declarative English sentence. He didn't say that instead. He's like, this, that, and the other thing, and balancing, and who around, blah, blah, blah. But what he really and means national is- National security and- Yabber, yabber, yabber. What he really means is, you got to pay me if you want me to stay open. 
And that's right. And this is the death spiral of subsidization that we've been I was going to say ever and ever and ever. We are as we soon can't as you be. create the expectation that you will be a darling of of the government, uh, you will get pet, you know, you'll get I, treat special treatment. Then everyone's gonna want to get in line. We and guess who's be, paying for this? We can't Us. be. We can't be more than a year away from some critical mineral subsidization legislation. We can, and, and you know what? You know the terrible thing is that you're gonna have like a bunch of Republicans be in favor of it. Well, and unfortunately, that's kind of what the pattern has been for Republicans on like CCS, for example. Right. Um, and so uh, you, there's, there is historical, uh, there is history there. Uh, and you're right. I think that this is, might be where we're headed, unfortunately. And I don't think that we will be in, in favor of it, just like we're not in favor of any of these other subsidies for all of this stuff. You shouldn't subsidize companies for making their product they should they should succeed or fail on their own or we should exclude or or and this is this is i'm completely comfortable with this or we should exclude chinese competitors from the marketplace because as now two administrations have discovered and found the chinese turned out to be murderous genocidal communist chinese turned out to be murder genocidal slavers so um you know either one but i'd, I'd much rather i'd much rather exclude chinese product than than prop up everybody else got one here on electric vehicles uh from the wall street journal it's Polestar became the latest electric vehicle manufacturer to cut its outlook for 2023 Alongside first quarter results Thursday, Volvo Cars, one of Polestar's major shareholders, quote, needs more time to perfect the software for a new production platform that Polestar will use for its new sport util utility vehicle. The three will now hit the market in 2024 rather than later this year, as they had previously hoped. We don't intend to push cars into the market at any price just to achieve a volume that we once announced. C CEO uh, Thomas Ing Ingenlath told uh, um, Wall Street Journal, "These, I mean, doesn't matter. <laughs> Pulsar, it's, it's just you can no matter what they make all kinds of promises, they can't keep the promises. For those of you keeping track, this is important on Polestar, right? Majority owner of Polestar is communist Chinese. So." Anyway. Keep in mind, and, and they and they they are going to get the same um, tax credit as everybody else if they can meet domestic content requirements. There we go. Just just you know, back to the subsidization. That's problem. the future, though. We're we're right on the cusp. Yeah, everybody's we're always right, right on, on the cusp. cusp. We, Every it's right on around the corner. Fusion, um, fusion. The whole thing's a fusion. I got one I more in energy world, and uh, uh, this is a doozy. You ready? Yeah. California City gives celebrity chef Jose Andres yeah, yeah. an exemption for his restaurant to use gas stoves. Zatania, which we have one in D.C., cannot compromise the caliber of its cuisine and reputation. And if SPG cannot provide gas in building EE, Zatania will choose not to locate within the city. 
the restaurant's attorney warned Palo Alto administrators. So gas stoves for the elite and the buddies of your government officials and famous people like Jose Andres, but not for you, you eons, you peasants. Well, there you go. So there it is. And it begins, right? Well, it's never really ended, but uh, it's, I find it rather uh, comical that uh, this is how it works, right? If you've got uh, no, I'm juice, in, I'm in favor of Jose. I hope he wins. I hope. I hope he wins. I hope he. I, no, he got it. I hope he, he advocates his exemption. I hope he advocates for everybody to get an exemption. Right? All right. We had a request to any anything energy from you before I move on. I'm sure there's thousands of things we should be paying attention to, but that's it. All right. We had a request to talk about the border because uh, we haven't in a while. So let me set that up with this clip. Okay. So we have seen, I think, approximately 6,300 uh, on Friday and about 4,200 yesterday uh, by the United States Border Patrol. And we saw over 10,000 before the end of Title 42 earlier uh, last week. Oh, man, it's just like they're it's just like their numbers on gas prices and inflation. Well, they're, they're taking a victory lap over 6,300. Hundred and forty-two hundred illegal immigrant encounters because it's below ten, below ten thousand. Yeah, there's two things going on, right? You got to know both of them. One is is that the those are encounters at at places other than ports of entry, right? So what the what what the Biden what Team Biden did was just funnel everybody to the port of entry. So we we're not actually sure like what the real number is. So that's thing one. Thing two is is that the drug cartels who actually manage the other side of this war, the drug cartels are really good at um pacing and they obviously paced it so that there wasn't a rush at the border in the wake of Title 42. They'll wait about a month when everybody's attention is on something else, and then they'll, they'll, they'll be a rush on the border. It, it, we are not, this is not some random thing, right? This is getting managed by highly disciplined, well-organized, smart drug cartels who use drones and computers and computer programs to do this thing, right? To run this invasion. And and this guy Mayorkas, he Uncle Fester, he's hopeless. I mean, he is, he's he just is nine kinds of totally hopeless. hopeless. So I, you know, um and then meanwhile the administration was trashing uh governor the governor of Texas uh for trying to stop the fentanyl coming in and saying, oh he's getting in the way and there's all this confusion because of because of um because of his actions and then florida uh governor DeSantis sent um some of the um uh state uh militia over the national guard over to help to help the uh to yeah. help the situation in texas also so friends helping friends in red states well we're i'm 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 i'll make a prediction about this right now um we're gonna have a militarized border within five years maybe as soon as three uh and, and you know it's it's gonna be the re-election of president trump will actually slow that down 
right? The next Republican in the door who's not named Trump will militarize the border. They won't announce the militarizing the border, but they're yeah. going to. You know, Vivek Ramaswamy, right? He talks openly about killing the cartels. Um, that's going to be the that is going to be a great big giant argument in this in this campaign, right? What are we going to do about the cartels? And my guess is about seventy five percent of the country is ultimately going to be like, why don't we just kill them? Why don't we just do to them what we did to our own our own organized crime? Just just kill them over the course of fifteen years. So yeah, I, I, this is another case where it, it would be nice if Congress did something, but Congress isn't going to do anything. That, that, they want an issue. So just give me a, I'll just give a couple stats. In um, April, 211,401 illegal immigrants were encountered at the southern border, a 337% increase from an average April during the Trump administration, and 6.6 million Illegal immigrants have crossed the border since President Biden took the old yeah, office. Yeah, we're yeah we're 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 clipping along. We, That's we're, pretty darn. What's that percentage in an election? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, we we were clipping along at about at about two million, but the last six months we've really bumped up to to a closer an annual clip of like three million. That's why we are going to have this conversation because the second we slip into a recession, and I think we probably already are in it, people are going to ask some questions. Yeah. People sure. are going to ask some questions and and it's not, you know, there's no there's no good answer if you're if you're a democrat there's no good answer, which is oddly enough why um Henry Cuellar, right, who who represents he's going to be the last democrat who represents anything near the Rio Grande Valley. Yeah. Um even he's like we're in trouble and we need to do something about it. And I'm like forget it, Henry. You're 20 years too late. They've everybody's decided we're not going to do anything about it. So the the former Obama DHS secretary, uh, Jeff, Jeff yes. Johnson. Yeah, Jeff Johnson. Jeff said a thousand encounters a day overwhelms the system. And Mayorkas is bragging about how he's knocked it down to 4,200 yesterday based on the, you know, moving the, moving the numbers around like you described. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's talk uh, here. Let me set this up real quick. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped, and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It, it is, regardless, devastating to the FBI, and to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. You want to talk about a waste of time and money. The John Durham investigation is an embarrassment, and it should go down as one of the biggest abuses of power and waste of money in the Department of Justice's history. So which is it? <laughs> That was uh, Tapper from CNN and then Hatchet Man for the uh, Democrats on the uh, Weaponization Committee, Congressman Dan Goldman, uh, who said it's a yeah. abuse of power and a waste of money. And, uh, uh, yeah. You know, so did, where, where, where do you come down on the, on the Durham report? Well, let me just take a side swipe at Congressman Goldman for a second, right? Since he was with the, one of the lead counsels on the January 6th commission, right? You want to talk about something as a waste of time and money and an act an ab, an absolute propaganda exercise? It was the January 6th commission, right? Um, so Congressman Goldman knows whereof he speaks when he says waste of time, right? Um, that's thing one. Thing two, Congressman very sorry. You're welcome to come on the show. I'd love to talk to you, but beware. I didn't grow up rich in Manhattan like you did. 
I grew up in the Bronx. So it's going to be a little tougher than usual, right? Anyway, (laughs) um, the other thing, the Durham thing, right? Yeah, here's my take on it, right? I'm working my way through the 300 pages. He makes makes a, a... a very convincing case that the FBI um, found nothing but didn't like that answer, so they more or less invented something. Um, that said, there's a big difference between a um, a uh, term paper and an actionable item in a court of law. And you know, yeah, and th- we've seen that already that that they've they've stumbled in that in that realm, that, right? That's uh, right. You know, he was supposed to he was the guy who was supposed to do stuff, and instead we got three hundred pages of, you know, here's what I learned. Um, like I said, it's a pretty good term paper, and but I, I'm not really sure term papers can exonerate anybody, right? You only you only get exoneration from a court of law. Yeah. So I'm I'm. I'm going to give it a, a B for content and a C minus for effort. How about if I do it that so way? I'm going to put a, a piece in the uh, show notes that sort of outlines what's in it and what the term paper discusses. But the but the bottom line is, is it just kind of lists, um, you know, a chronological list of all of the ways in which these guys uh, went after Trump, made stuff up um, all the way down the line, goes through the Papadopoulos stuff, goes through card, you know, uh, everything that, 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 yeah. I mean, and, and like Tapper said, it, it largely exonerates Donald Trump, but we all knew that already. Yeah. Right? Uh, th- and I guess that's the, that's the, that's the thing, right? It's, it's all stuff that we've, we have known and have discovered. Right. And, um, it's kind of all now embedded in our thinking, right? The FBI is 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 an operation that's completely. Um, wow, this is a hard thing to say. The FBI is completely compromised as an organization, right? But we already knew that. We already yeah. knew that, right? I have a friend in the business, and he has to work with these guys, and he's he does nothing but complain about how how political they are and just mostly inept. Um, folks that come out of that shop are um, so anyway uh, anecdotal but it kind of it kind of tracks it's you know it is what it is i'm disappointed that i'm disappointed that you know special counsel managed to get approximately nothing and in all fairness that's usually what special counsels wind up getting um can can i make one one observation that i thought was really spot on that i heard this week Fired up. Commissioner Jim Danley, James Danley from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, said something that was funny, but it's applicable to this and more generally throughout the federal government. He said, look, because he got asked a question about permitting reform and did, did he want FERC to get more power, authority, jurisdiction, whatever. And he said, look, he said, whatever it is you're trying to get more of, competition, transmission, whatever, if you put FERC in charge of it, you're going to get less of it. And I thought, there's a guy who knows his agency, right? But it's applicable to the larger government. If you want something and you put the federal government in charge of it, the chances of you getting that thing is greatly reduced, whatever it is, justice, fairness, quality, transmission, wheat, it doesn't matter, right? in In the famous phrase of Milton Friedman, if the federal government manages the Sahara Desert, 
we'd have a sand shortage in five years. Yeah, 100%, which is why we, this is why we are always railing against all of this micromanaging of these systems, because uh, it's absolutely true. I mean, they're not, government is not designed to be efficient. Yeah, it's designed. It's not designed to, you know, uh, make logical, good, sound monetarily sound decisions it's, look at the just go back to the debt ceiling conversation it's crazy it's a perfect example it's crazy it's just, look everybody everyone within the sound of my voice here's what the united states government is supposed to do and it's what they do well they're supposed to kill people they're supposed to kill all its enemies foreign and domestic and they build roads that's literally it. Those yeah, are the well, two they things. Don't even do that. Very I was well. going to say they. They fortunately they contract the Europe, roads out, Europe, so we got so we got roads built. Europe is actually ahead of the United States in terms of road, uh, be, the way that they manage their road. Don't building. be. That's a whole other. Don't podcast. be. Rid, don't be ridiculous. All right, so don't give me this. So, don't give me this German. No, it's not the German thing. It's just the way they're financed, and it's the way that they're built. They're built better. They're built faster. Um, they cut through a lot of red tape. How come uh, nobody wants it, to live in Europe then? <laughs> Who the hell wants to live in Europe? Nobody Madonna lives in Europe. Does, Nobody lives in uh, Europe voluntarily. What's his name? Who's who's who? What celebs are spending time in Europe? Oh, Johnny Depp's in 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 Europe nowadays. So, all right, this one caught my eye. It's a little <laughs> off the beaten path, but I yeah. thought it was a hilarious headline. Yeah, from Bloomberg Vice to get new owners as media darling files for bankruptcy. Wow. Vice Media filed for bankruptcy protection and struck a deal to sell off its itself to creditors. A precipitous fall for a company that one once boasted a five point seven billion dollar valuation. Now, if it was if it's a media darling, then why is it bankrupt? Well, I think I think um, I think um, I think Bloomberg was having a little fun with them, right? Yeah, I know. Which is great, by the way. It's partially why you love Bloomberg, because at some fundamental level, they're a finance operation. They they just report like, hey, this guy failed or this guy's making money. Um, Vice. Uh, yeah, $6 billion yeah, so Vice, nothing. Vice News uh, tonight started in 2016 as a newscast on HBO. Have you ever watched any one of those episodes? Oh, of course not. You're not missing anything. They're horrible. They're just left propaganda um anyway uh and uh then the other you know goes on to say this year buzzfeed inc shut down its news operation oh, yeah. and online publisher insider inc said it's cutting about 10 percent of its staff so the content world continues to hemorrhage uh there's probably a little bit of overbuilding going on there don't you think i hope so yeah, I don't know. Speaking as content providers, we probably the media be, darling. We shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't bankrupt be, media darling. We shouldn't be too excited because both you and me are content providers. So <laughs> yeah, but we're not making any money to begin with, so we can't file for bankruptcy. Can't, you can't. I think we're okay. Can't can't kill yourself by jumping out a basement <laughs> window. Is that the theory? Yeah. All right. So let's do some politics. You. You were right. Thank you. It's pretty overwhelming to contemplate the future of America. It's such an honor to be here with proud Americans who carry on President Reagan's cherished legacy. He brought peace by projecting strength at a time when it's easy for us to lose faith, to worry that 
We are indeed that one generation when freedom becomes extinct. There are lights shining. We can usher in a new era of American values. President Ronald Reagan changed lives. And now it's our turn. A time to choose life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness over oppression and dictatorial rule. The stakes are high. And the consequences couldn't be greater. So the opening statement of the maybe Glenn Youngkin campaign for president, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think what I've I think what I've always thought. I think he's gonna he's gonna try to win these the state senate seats, and he's gonna announce for president probably around November fifteenth, if he assuming he wins, right? Which in Virginia, I'm kind of tangled up in some of those races. I'm not sure he's gonna. I'm not sure how it's gonna go. Um, so but that's a guy who's running for sure, right? I'll accompany a piece from the Hill, uh, which put that into the article. I mean, the only you know the only question I got is who's gonna who is who is he gonna hire? Yeah, well, I don't know if he's still gonna. I mean, this is just to me, it's a. I'm not out yet. Uh, I'm not in per se, but I'm not out yet either. He's going so. to run. He's going right, to run. Uh, um, in uh, other political news, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but Charlie Stenholm died. Democrat ar architect of farm policy died at the age of 84. I did see that. So uh, he was, uh, for those who don't know, Charlie Stenholm was a blue dog, quote unquote, conservative Texas Democrat. And he was obviously involved in a ton of farm bills because he was the chairman of the agriculture committee forever. I liked Stenholm. But he was still he's that he's that mansion he's that mansiony kind of Democrat. He was when 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 the leadership needed him, he was there, right? Uh, so and it used to drive me nuts back in the day when the, when I saw these Democrats, you know, talk a good game, but then at the end of the day that they couldn't uh, quite pull the trigger and buck their party on some stuff. So well, you know. Anyway, dude, Charlie so Stanhope, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, the thing about Texas Democrats is they had this mansion thing down long before Joe Manchin ever showed oh, yeah. up. You know, yeah, they would, LBJ and they would, they would give great speeches and then screw you on the vote. All right. I've got one more on the politics side. Uh, this one, I've, I stumbled on this one this morning, actually. And I, I'm just curious to get your take on it. And I just don't believe it's, it's in the interest of the people of any state for a, a government to essentially go after a business that they disagreed with on a political issue. I disagree with Florida moving against uh, Walt Disney. I disagree with California moving against Walgreens because they're going to obey the law uh, about abortifacients in some 20 states, so they're going to cancel a $120 million project. Look, at, at the end of the day, the business of America is business. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not terribly surprised to see Disney canceling a billion-dollar contract it's only, that's only going to harm people in the Orlando and, and Florida area. And, and it's uh, one more reason why, uh, well, as a limited government conservative, uh, I, I've said for months now that I, I, I think both sides ought to stand down, mm. take the victory for parents' rights in the legislature and move on. That seems shallow enough that I'm going to guess it's Asa Hutchinson. 
No, you don't recognize the voice. No, not at it's all. The, it's Vice President Mike Pence. Oh, well, pretty close on my part. Pretty close. <laughs> I got the shallow so part. So what is he going for? The the Rockefeller, what's left of the Rockefeller wing of the... Uh, oh, man, he's, like, he's going... Has he not noticed that he's... there's a, kind of an anti-business trend going on in the republican party and he's tom, pulling out the tom tom he's going for the all-important mark short vote um you know it 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 he's he's going for guys who he's going for guys who still imagine that um that business you can you can maintain neutrality in business right in all times at all times and in all places they, and the the businesses themselves have that's what i'm saying the businesses themselves have have, have basically abandoned neutrality which is why yeah i, I it's it's um well, i wish it was asa hutchinson because this would be an easier thing to say but it, it deserves to be said like the vice president is a nice guy he, he respects oh, yeah. every, he respects everybody and blah blah blah. You know all the all the usual caveats, okay? But nobody's ever accused him of being smart. And, well, I just think this is and uh, and in all fairness, this, I want to this go, probably this this probably disqualify. I mean, I don't know if, if he does, runs, it disqualifies. Here's what disqualifies him: the fact that he's not Donald Trump and he's not. Ron DeSantis is what disqualifies. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a good point. But, but let, me, or, let me say so one thing. You'd make the same case for Yunkin, then, right? Yeah, I could, except except Yunkin's got five hundred million bucks of his own that Pence doesn't have, and he's tall, and he's been a successful governor, unlike Pence, who was a disaster as a governor. <laughs> All right, so I'm done. Uh, do you have anything that you'd like to share with our growing? audience i'd our, like to our loyal and growing audience i would of like unregulated podcaster yes listeners. Uh, i would i would like to say that i remain unafraid of the pence machine um you know i i come on and then the second thing i want to say is is that um um i really am and i want to sound mawkish here but i really am very honored that the heritage foundation made me a visiting fellow it's a it's a matter of some personal um, satisfaction to me. My father was um, one of the earliest Heritage Foundation employees some fifty years ago, so um, I'm very grateful and um, and I'm looking forward to having some fun with it. And I think I think we're all going to have fun with it. It's all going to be a good thing. Sounds good. And I actually forgot one announcement. I would like to congratulate my. Uh, Wonderful, intelligent, and uh, beautiful cousin Sarah Roth, who just had her first child hey, yesterday. I'm sorry, on the 17th. They're nice. Uh, her Sarah and daughter Lily are doing just fine, and I can't wait to see them. So you should have uh, led with that, Tom. You should have. I know. I top, just you man. know I got tied up, but uh, close strong. And uh, I do have a final clip, though, as well, I'd like to play. And uh, we talked about New Orleans earlier, and I am literally uh, now now I'm going to as soon as I get done with this podcast, I'm going out to buy the ingredients for this. One of my favorite dishes probably is gumbo. Okay, I love gumbo. Yeah, I had so I was raised by my mother, and then we had a second mother, Miss mm. uh, Shelton, who was from Louisiana, and mm -hmm. she made the best gumbo. And I have been a lifelong gumbo apprentice, learning how to make gumbo my whole life. Okay. I never mastered it like okay. she did. 
but that's one of my favorite foods okay. probably. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a wrap. 132 episodes are now in the books. You know it's bad. When I'm they... going to make some gumbo. You know it's bad when the interviewer's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. <laughs> okay. She's like, okay. 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 And who's her second mother, by the way? I don't, what is that? I don't know. What I, you know. Peace out, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Namaste. Hey.